The word gospel translates to news that brings joy. But this isn't just any news. A gospel is news that changes a life forever. After being invaded and enslaved by Persia, Greece won two decisive battles at Marathon and Solnus. The Greeks sent out heralds, also called evangelists, to proclaim the good news to the cities. We have fought for you, we have won, and now you're no longer slaves, you're free. The reality is that we are all slaves, slaves to sin and slaves to death. We are slaves in need of good news. Enter Jesus, God's Son, fully God, fully man, bringing news that would change our lives forever. His news was this, I am the divine, come to you to do what you could not do for yourself. I will take what you deserve so you can have what I deserve. You have no idea how much it will cost me, but you also cannot imagine the depths of my love for you. It is a gift that I give freely, so repent. Repent from all the ways you've run from me and follow me. Follow me because I am the only way to eternal life. Follow me because I'm the savior you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything, yet I have humbled myself for you. Follow me because I died on a cross for you, because I'm your true love and your true life. This is my good news for you. This is my gospel that you have been saved by grace and that you are slaves no more. Amen. We, you know, we've seen that over the last couple of weeks, that video quite a few times. We have to understand that you know, the word gospel wasn't a word that was just made up. It's just not a Bible word. It was a Greek word that was hardly ever used because it represented something that was too good to be true. And as it, as it said in, in, in that video, that when they were liberated from, their, their, from being in captivity, from being enslaved and in bondage. They send out heralds, or also known as evangelists. You, you, know, you see how this is starting to make sense? And these evangelists went out declaring the gospel, the good news. And what Christianity, what God did is they, they took things that people understood from, the, from an earthly perspective of understanding, going out and proclaiming a news so good that it, it's, it's almost too good to be true news. And that is what the gospel is. It's, it's news that, that it takes faith to believe it. The reason why it takes faith to believe it is because it's too good to believe. From our natural standpoint, it's too hard from our understanding being rooted in the knowledge of good and evil, being rooted in religion, being rooted in do good, get good, do bad, get beat, the good news of the gospel is hard for us to comprehend. And it takes faith, the faith of God, 
to embrace it. And too many people, when it comes to the gospel, and they hear, well, the gospel is going to be preached, they, what they in, picture in their mind is, well, they're going to preach about going to heaven, how people can go to heaven one day. And that is part of the gospel. But it's not all of the gospel. It's not all of the good news. And what we've done is we've broken down the gospel into ten words. And these ten words are words that you need to digest mentally. That you need to embrace in your very being and core of who you are. And let them become how you live, how you react, how you react to your fellow man, how you react to God, and how you react to our defeated foe. Right? And we've been looking at these words over the last, today's the fourth week. And the first word that we looked at, do you remember what it was? Loved. That we are loved. That God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Who's left out of that? No one. And because God so loved the world, He reacted. God reacted because He loved. God so loved the world, He reacted, and He sent His only Son. That's good news. And He sent His only Son so that we could be saved. Right? So the first word was loved. And all of humanity, everyone that has ever existed, is loved by God. It's His very nature is love. And the, and the next word that we, we've seen the next week was forgiven. Forgiven. Because God loved us, He sent His Son, and He sent His Son to die as the, uh, the, uh, the atoning sacrifice for all of humanity. Because the wages of sin is what? Death. Death is the wage that we earned. But Jesus, who did not sin, did not earn death, He became sin for us. He became that atoning sacrifice. He was the payment for sin. And because He was the payment for sin, we have been forgiven of our sin. God loved the world and He forgave the world. Why did He forgive the world? Because He loved it. Right? And this is something that God did completely independent from us. It was all by His grace and it was all a action of His love. He did this for us. And this, that takes us to the week three where we talked about saved. Because He loves us, because He has forgiven us, now we can be saved. But we're not automatically saved. Because God does not force His love on anyone. He will not force you to be a part of His family. He will not force you to embrace His Savior. And you must choose 
what you are going to do with Jesus. When you hear how much He loved you, when you hear that He has nothing, He's holding nothing against you, that all He wants is goodness for you, what will you do with that news? Will you embrace that salvation? Or will you reject that salvation? If you reject Him, the rest of the good news will have no benefit to you. The rest of the gospel has no benefit to you. So today, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have not embraced Him, if you have not (laughs) received with open arms the new creation in Christ Jesus, I ask you today to make that decision. Just say, simply say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for my sins. And I believe that you loved me and have forgiven me. Make me a new creation. And when you do, it opens the door to all the rest of what the gospel entails and what the gospel proclaims and what the gospel has to offer for us today. These new creation realities. And... uh, so that takes us to our fourth word that, that we need to live by. And that fourth word is union. Union. The gospel proclaims that we are in union with God. You know, Jesus said that when one person turns to God, a party is thrown in heaven. Think about that. You know, Jesus was God. Jesus came to reveal to us the Father. So what that tells us that God likes parties. And, and, and it says that the angels rejoice. The angels rejoice when one sinner repents and receives the good news. So how do you imagine, how do you imagine this celebration? What does it look like? What does this party look like? I mean, does it look like a birthday? For some of us, maybe it looks like a retirement party, right? What does this party look like? The reality is it's the rejoicing that accompanies a wedding. It's the reception. It's it's this rejoicing of two parties saying, I do. It's a celebration of a new life wedded in union with Christ. See, far too many in the body of Christ are waiting and looking forward to the wedding banquet of the Lord. The wedding supper of the Lamb. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting till that day. But the truth is, Jesus is not coming back for a fiancé. He's coming back for a bride. So that means that you are in union with Christ now. Right? You are already married to Him. Your union in Christ is not a future event, but a present day reality. The moment you said yes 
to Jesus. That's such good news. See, we are in the betweens. We are in the betweens of the I do and let's party. You ever been there? You ever been to a wedding and they, they say I do and everybody celebrates and they cheer and they come down the aisle and play the music and then they take off for a little bit and you go wait. And you wait. And you wait. And you wait. Sometimes they got little appetizers and you eat the appetizers. Then they're all gone and you wait. And then they show up and then the party happens. We are in that in-between section. No one likes the in-between section. But listen, as we, we might be waiting to get together for the celebration, you have to see yourself as you are in union with Jesus and you're in that limo, you're, you're getting your pictures taken, you're, you're off enjoying the whole day in this waiting, waiting period, in, in between. In John chapter 15, verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the wine dresser. See, again, God is using natural, physical realities to, to reveal spiritual realities. And he's talking about this, a vine. And my Father is the wine dresser. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I spoke to you. Remain in me, and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains in me, and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It sounds like we have a responsibility in this. How many times did Jesus say, remain in me, remain in me? It almost sounds like you are to live in the reality that you are in me. And we can choose not to live our life in Christ. We can do it in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own ability. We can try to earn what God has freely given. I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch that dries up. And they gather them and throw them in the fire, and they are burnt. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Do you realize that this is one of the most wonderful declarations of our union with Christ? Unfortunately, instead of rejoicing in this awesome truth, people focus more on the being picked up and thrown into the fire. To be cut off and thrown in the fire. We need to, and what we need to do is just slow down and relax. 
Because religion tries to get us to worry about things that we shouldn't be worrying about. See, worrying that you that God's going to pluck you off the vine and throw you in the fire is like worrying about divorce in the middle of your honeymoon. Paul used this same idea. He, he, he used the same idea in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself a church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. The wine dresser prepares the branches, just like the groom prepares his bride. Who's responsible for preparing the bride? Christ. Who's responsible for preparing the branches to bear fruit? The wine dresser. God. The good news is, is that Jesus doesn't believe in divorce. You know that? That Jesus does not believe in divorce? So why do we preach that God will divorce you? That God will sever union with you? As a matter of fact, God declared that I hate divorce. Now listen to me. I'm not saying that God hates divorcees. God hates the idea of divorce. Why do you think God declared that he hates divorce. Because marriage represents Christ in the church. You understand that? And so every time there's a physical divorce, it misleads people to think that God will divorce us. You see that? Marriage was to be a picture of this union that we have in Christ Jesus. And God wants you to know that He will never, ever, ever divorce you. He hates it. You're stuck with Him forever. What God has joined together, let no man separate. So be very careful of individuals that try to separate you from Jesus. Let's look at these words again. In John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from you, from me, you can do nothing. So your union with Christ is not some far off event but a present-day reality. You are in union with God right now. Your spirit has become one spirit with Christ. 
in one spirit doesn't when we talk about one it doesn't mean two it doesn't mean you have your spirit and then there's the spirit of Christ no you are recreated in the very image of Christ Jesus your spirit has been made one with Christ you have been baptized now when i say the word baptized what do you think when it says you've been baptized into Christ, our minds go to getting sprinkled or getting dunked. Again, those are natural, natural things that God has given us to reveal supernatural, spiritual truths. The word baptism is a Greek word, baptizo, and it means to dunk or to submerge. And they, didn't, they never changed that word. They kept it the same. Because John the Baptist would have been called John, John the Dunker or John the Submerger if they translated it into English. And the Scripture says that John had a baptism and his baptism was for the repentance of sins. Right? We are not baptized into John's baptism because God has already forgiven our sins. It says that we are baptized into Christ. What does that mean? It means that you have been dunked, you have been submerged into the Spirit of Christ. Paul uses another illustration of of an olive tree being a wild olive tree being engrafted into a um, cultivated olive tree. You know what happens when a tree is grafted into another tree? They become one. This is, all, this is all beautiful imagery. That word baptism, another way that it was used in Jesus' day is when they dyed garments. Dyed garments. So you had linen gar- a linen garment. It was kind of like an off-white color maybe. Maybe it was pure white. And what they did, did is they, took, they made a dye and they took the garment and baptized it into the dye. And then when the garment came out of that dye, the garment was now purple. The question is, is now the dye and the garment has been so intertwined that you can't separate the two. Is the dye in the garment or is the garment in the dye? Yes, exactly. We have been baptized into Christ. We have been come into a union with Jesus. And since, and this is an accomplished, this has already been accomplished. This is how you are sitting here right now. And, and since there's no part of the branch, we just like the baptism, just like the like the, the union in marriage, and just like this engrafting of an olive tree, this branch 
There's no part of the branch that is not also part of the vine. They're together. Do you understand that? Anyone who touches Jesus touches you. When you lay hands on the sick, you are putting Jesus' hands on them. Do you see how understanding your union with Christ is? To understand that you are united with Christ Jesus. It will add so much more faith and confidence in your prayers and in living out the Gospel. When, when you speak, when you open your mouth and proclaim the good news, you are speaking words with His mouth. You are one with Jesus. You are one with Jesus. You are one flesh with Him. Marriage, our fleshly union with our spouses, is an earthly picture of a spiritual union all believers have with Jesus. And listen... Too often, we look at this mystical union, this mystery of Christ in the church. Paul says that when he's describing a husband and a wife in marriage, he says, I speak to you a mystery, Christ and his church, right? What we do is we say, well, our marriage is supposed to be like Jesus and Jesus' relationship to the church. This is, so we look at using this imagery to better our marriages. The marriage is not the reality. The marriage, the physical marriage, is, is the shadow. The real reality that marriage is pointing to is our union with Christ. Marriage is, is supposed to show us the joyful celebration that we have become one with Christ. The better you understand your union with your spouse, the better you are to understand your union with Christ. And for those that aren't married, guess what? You are married. You are married to Christ. We have become in perfect union with Christ. We have come together with one that will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never divorce us. He will always uplift us. He will always iron out the wrinkles and cover up the blemishes. You are one flesh with Him. In John chapter 14, verse 20, it says, On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Just the same way that Jesus is in the Father, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. So if Jesus is in the Father, and we're in Jesus, where are we? In the Father. It's kind of like you take a bucket 
and you throw it out in the ocean. And it fills up with the ocean and sinks to the bottom. Is the bucket, is it, it's filled with the ocean. Is, it, is the bucket filled with the ocean or is, is the bucket in the ocean or is the ocean in the bucket? Both. Yes. That's the same way it is with Christ, in Christ. We are in Him. He is in us. We are in Him, seated with Him in heavenly places, and He is with us here on earth. He is in you. Wherever you go, He goes. When you go to work, the Lord goes with you. When you go on vacation, the Lord goes with you. You are never separated. Look at how Paul shows this illustration, this ear inseparable union that we have in Christ. Now this is going to be a scripture that you don't hear <laughs> preached in church very often. Probably never. But what Paul, this is how engrafted, welded, baptized we are into Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are parts of Christ? Shall I take Shall I then take away the parts of Christ and make them parts of a prostitute? Should you do that? Man, you guys are hesitant. No, you shouldn't do that. Come on. No. But could you? He says, far from it. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. You are in union with Jesus wherever you go. You are never not in union with Christ. So am I saying that Holy Spirit is with you even when you sin? Yes. Yes. You know, Jesus never sinned when He walked the earth. But His body, the church, His bride, has done a lot of sinning. Christ's love for you and His union with you is stronger than any sin. That's what Paul is trying to tell the Corinthian church. Don't you know? Don't you know that you're in union with Christ? Don't you know that you're connected with Jesus Christ? Don't you know that you're, you're one spirit with Him? And what you do, what you do has consequences. It re- you're, you take Christ with you. He's saying that if you take Christ and preach the gospel, if you go and preach the gospel, Christ is with you. If you lay hands on the sick, Christ is with you. If you give money to the poor, Christ is with you. If you go lay with a harlot and a prostitute, guess what? Christ is with you. That's how in how. 
welded we are together for all eternity. This is good news. You should feel so secure that your, that your Heavenly Father loves you so much that He will never leave you, He will never forsake you, He will never sever you off, He will never divorce you. And I don't know about you, but that makes me want to serve Him, love Him, learn of His ways more than anything. It's kind of like one preacher, I think it was uh, Martin Luther, was after preaching the gospel, someone says, so what are you saying? Are you saying that we can go live any way that we want? If you never thought that, if you never thought when someone's preaching the gospel, well, what is this guy saying? That we, it doesn't matter how I live? You've never heard the gospel. If, you, if that never entered your mind, you've never heard the gospel. And Martin Luther said to him, absolutely. Now how do you want to live? How do you want to live? Now that you are in union with Christ, do you want to be an adulterer? Or do you want to live in wedded bliss? So you might be wondering, if, if, if we are in Christ and Christ is in us, how can Jesus be here if He's up there, right? How can He be here if He's up there? How can He be with the Father and us at the same time? How can Jesus be seated at the right hand of the Father and be with us here on the earth? How can Jesus be in two places? How can He be with every believer all at the same time? In John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am leaving you. For if I do not leave, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus told his disciples that, that I have been with you, and that's a good thing. I've been with you, and it's been good. But soon I will be in you, and that will be much, much better. Most Christians don't believe that it's better. Most Christians think that if we had Jesus here in the flesh, it'd be, that would be so much better than what we have today. Well, Jesus could only be around 12 guys. Right? He was physically bound. But in the Spirit, He can be with everyone at the same time, constantly. See, the reason why they, they think it'd be better if Jesus was here in the flesh is because they don't understand. They don't understand the good news of our union with Jesus. Holy Spirit is the answer to how Jesus can leave us and be with us all at the same time. Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with Jesus. And since He who has the Son also has the Father. To be filled with Jesus is to be filled with the Father as well. He who has the Spirit has the Father and the Son. They are inseparable team. Look at this. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, For in Him, speaking of Jesus, in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In Christ, 
Everything of God dwells in Christ Jesus. And in Him, you have been made complete. And He is the head over every ruler and authority. Now this, this Scripture needs some amplification to understand to understand this Scripture and in, in, in the, in the revelation that is in it. Um, what he's trying to get to the Colossians. And so we're going to read this Scripture in the Amplified Version. Now what the Amplified Version is, if you're not familiar with the Amplified Bible, is most Bibles, like the King James Bibles and, and New King James and American Standard and stuff like that, what they do is when they translate the Bible, they, they take one, for the New Testament, they take one Greek word, and they put one English word in its place. And the issue with that is Hebrew and Greek has such a depth to their words. The, the definitions are so deep that sometimes one English word doesn't give you the, the full picture. And what the Amplified Version does, this is, um, I'll, I don't care. This, this is the woman's Bible. It's very, very wordy. The King, the, King ja the King James Bible gets to the point, one word for one word. The, the Amplified Bible tells you everything in between. Tells you what, everything what that word means. The feeling behind it, everything. So let's read this scripture in, in the Amplified Version. It says, For in him the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression to the divine nature. So what, he's, what it's saying is, is that in Jesus, all of God is in him. And Jesus gives us the full expression of what God is like, what the Godhead is like. If to see Jesus is to see who God is. And you are in him. That's you. Say, I'm in him. Made full. Oh, you're going to read it all? And having come to fullness of life. In Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And reached full spiritual stature. That's you. We're, there is, if you are complete in Him, if you have come to full spiritual statute, statute, why are you trying to get something that you already have? And you're thinking, but Chad, you don't understand. You don't understand. I, I have, I'm not complete. I, I don't have fullness of life. Yes, you do. It's in your spirit. When you were born again, you weren't born again a baby Christian. You were born again. All of us were born the exact same way. With the fullness of God in our spirits. We were baptized. We were engrafted. We were brought into union with God for all eternity. This is so awesome. This is so awesome. I mean, we, we still have... We, we still have Christians that have been Christians for 40, 50 years, and they're worried about if they're actually going to make it to the wedding banquet. Come on! You're already married! 
Enjoy the trip. Here's what Jesus said. In John chapter 14, verse 23, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will follow my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Do we believe this stuff? I don't care how young you are here today or how old you are. The Father has made, Father, Son, Holy Spirit has made their dwelling place in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Learn to fellowship with God. Learn to talk with God. Learn to live your life in union with God on a daily basis. Religion has given us the impression that God is with us, but sometimes He isn't. He comes and goes. And then there's also those that get religious and and say that there are things that we can do to make Him come. Think about that. If we just pray a little longer, if we just worship and praise a a little bit harder, then God will show up. Who are we to think that we can make God do anything? And it's all trying to get everybody worked up into a frenzy. And finally someone enters into faith and believes that God's there because they get a tingle. Listen, He never left you. You were never alone. God is here right now. Well, I don't feel Him. I don't care if you don't feel Him. What does your feelings have to do with anything? God says that He's here. He's not not just here, He's in you. We are the body of Christ. You you see how this imagery comes together? We are in Him, He is in us, and we're all connected as the body of Christ. And the eye cannot say to the ear, I have no need of you. We can't say to one another, we don't have no need of each other. Because we are all connected, we are all one in Christ Jesus. See, that might have been how it was in the Old Testament, but thank Jesus that we are not Old Testament believers, are we? We're New Testament believers. We have been delivered from that old system that was inadequate, the Bible says, and that has passed away. Jesus said the Holy Spirit abides in with us and makes His home in us. Home means home. You are God's home. You are not God's hotel. You are not God's Airbnb. He doesn't just come and visit you once in a while when he's on vacation. It would be more like a business trip probably. But no. You are his home. Is this the gospel that you've heard preached? Now warning, i got to speed up a little bit here, but warning... I'm going to screw with a beloved idea that, that, you guys, that most Christians have. I've even had, understood these scriptures a certain way, but I have a different view on it. So this is just a warning that I'm going to make you uncomfortable here. Because okay? it might be taking something that you've held on to for a long time. Okay? In John chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, because I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I am coming again, and I will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you will also be. You know, Jesus makes this statement. Jesus makes a statement, and right away we go to these heavenly dwellings, physical heavenly dwellings, our mansions. Now listen to me. I'm not saying there's not mansions, but I'm telling you, if some mansion is the best that heaven has to offer, that's not much. I don't believe Jesus is talking about heavenly mansions here. He makes a statement, and then right away, Thomas says, he questions Jesus and asks him to show us the Father. You know the whole thing. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father, um, Thomas. If you, if you don't believe that I am the Father and the, the Father's in me, believe me for the very work's sake. Remember that, that whole conversation? But then it doesn't stop there. It keeps going. And Jesus sa- says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he gives further explanation to Thomas and the disciples on what he first said. In verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper so that He may be with you forever. The Helper is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He remains with you and will be in you. He's going to prepare a dwelling place for us in God and God in us. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. After a little while, the world no longer is going to see me, but you are going to see me because I live. And also, and you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. When Holy Spirit dropped on the day of Pentecost, we knew that Jesus made it. That Jesus made it to the Father. That Jesus is seated at the right right hand of the Father. When Holy Spirit came in to the church, it it says, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you you will know that you are in union. You will know that you are in the dwelling place of God. You will know that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You will know that I have accomplished and I have done it all. Verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will follow my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling in with him. Like I said, there might be heavenly mansions. But if we really understood our union with Christ, this revelation would be so much better than what any, any mansion that anyone could ever offer you. That God dwells in you. 
God chose to make His dwelling place in you. God chose to become one with you. God chose to reside, have union in you. This is amazing. You are the mansion of God. You are the dwelling of God. You are in perfect union with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go home and read chapter 14 all in context. And if you don't agree with me, that's okay. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. You don't have to agree with me. But I am going to relax and rest in my perfect union in Christ Jesus. Amen? Faithfulness and, excuse me, fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is found in union with Christ. If you want to bear fruit, you cannot do it on your own. You cannot do a work for God. God has to do a work in you. Right? Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is found only in Christ. A vine and a branch are two parts that make a whole. Right? A branch separated from the vine is a dead stick. You take a branch from the vine and throw it on the ground, it does not do anything. It's a dead stick. And a vine with no branches cannot bear fruit. Right? We are all connected. We're two separate things connected in Christ in one. Likewise, as a believer, our lives cannot be understood in isolation of Jesus. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. Listen, there is nothing you can do that for God. We are not fruit producers. We do not produce fruit. We are fruit bearers. We bear the fruits of Christ. Anything that we do for Christ, guess what? It's being stacked up as cordwood to be burnt on the last day. We can't bear fruit. We can't grow. We can't even have life apart from the vine, apart from Jesus. But thank God we're not apart from Him, right? We have been engrafted into the very tree of life. The good news is that we don't have to make this happen. We just need to receive it. To partake of His divine nature requires only that we live in union with what is already ours. Jesus is the vine, and the same life-giving sap that is in the vine flows in the branches. Stop trying to be a little vine all on your own. Stop struggling. It's not your job to produce fruit. Just abide. Are you abiding? Our part is to trust Him and depend on Him for everything. You do not produce the fruit. Your job is to, to bear the fruit that He produces in you. A married person that continues to live like a single person will miss out on all the blessings, the many blessings that, 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 that are in marriage. A Christian who fails to draw their union with Christ is going to miss many of the blessings that we have in our union with Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, 
This is the good news translation. It says, let us give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for in our union with Christ, He has blessed us by giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. You might have heard before that you are blessed in God and you're blessed in this new life in Christ, but you may not have heard or known that 100% of your blessing comes as a result of being one with Christ. We're not blessed because God, because we're independent from God and He chooses to bless us. We are blessed because we are one with God. And He is blessed. Do you understand that? So let's examine some of those blessings starting with salvation. What exactly is the basis for your salvation? It's your union with Christ. You are not saved because you said some magical words called the sinner's prayer. You are saved. You are saved because you have been made one with the Lord and His saving life is now your life. We mislead people when we sell salvation as just a ticket to heaven. It's not that it's wrong. It's just that it's very, very, very incomplete. Because our union with Christ, we have been made holy and righteous. You are holy and righteous as you sit right here today. Well, I don't feel very holy. I mean, what would happen if I got up and I told Amanda, you know what, I don't feel very married today. See you later, honey, I'm going to work. I don't think that'd go very good. She'd say, listen, buddy, it doesn't matter how you feel. We're married. And you better remember that when you go up that door. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter if, if you feel like you're married to Christ or not. You are. And there's nothing you can do to change it. And all that is His is yours. We are in union with Him. So we are righteous. I don't feel righteous. It doesn't matter how you feel. You are the righteousness of God. You are holy. If the vine is righteous, guess what? The branches too. If the vine is holy, the branches too. That's why John could say in 1 John 4, 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Do you have boldness to face the day of judgment? John says we should. We should have boldness. Why? Because love has been perfected. And how has love been perfected? That as He is, so are we in this world. When you understand that you are in perfect union with Jesus, there is nothing to fear. Go through the New Testament. Here's some homework for you. Go through the New Testament, especially with the, 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 the internet and all that stuff like that. You can, you can look this stuff up real good. Type in, in Him, in Christ. Type, t- type in, um, in Christ, in Him. Um, I think that's it. In whom? In Him, in whom? In Christ. Type those searches in there and read every single Scripture in the New Testament to find out what you're in union with to find out all the blessings that are yours in Christ Jesus. Here's one for you. Ready? Here's one. Here's a teaser. This will get you going. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God might, maybe, if, you're, if you do the right things, no, and my God will supply all your needs according, according to what? Not according to you. According to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I know you don't believe it. That's not why you're not excited right now. But ask Holy Spirit to give you the revelation of this so you can believe it. That you are a blessing going somewhere to happen. That you are already blessed in Christ Jesus. You have your needs provided for you already according to His riches because you are in Christ Jesus. That's a totally different way to live. If this is true, if this is true, that He will meet all our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus, why do we, are we praying for God to bless us? Why are we praying for God to meet our needs? Why are we... Because we don't believe it. Instead, we would just say, Lord, I know that You meet all my needs according to Your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now what should I do? That's living in union. What should I do? Well, I don't want to do that, Lord. That's scary. That doesn't seem very safe. I'll give you a hint. When God tells you to do something, it's usually going to take faith. It usually takes faith. Here's another thing. When you, st- when you first start walking by the direction of God, He'll ask you to do little things. When you first start walking with Him, He'll ask you to do little things. Do this. Don't do that. Don't hang out, don't hang out there. The reason why He does that is because He that can be faithful with little things can be entrusted with great things. And He's teaching you His faithfulness. He's teaching you His goodness. He's leading and guiding you for His namesake. See, many of us came to Christ because we had a need. It may have been we needed healing. Maybe we, needed, we wanted forgiveness and we wanted to be relieved from guilt, shame, and condemnation. Some of us came out of fear and just simply wanted a ticket to heaven. Whatever your need was, God is gracious to meet that need. You are free to receive from the abundance of His provision of grace and be blessed. But here is what many miss. The giver is greater than the gifts. This understanding this union and being in fellowship with God is so much greater than just trying to get gifts and blessings from God. The gospel is not a list of treasures that can be ours, but the joyful pronouncement that the lover of our soul desires to share his life in wedded union with us forever. 
For the believer, it is a happy declaration that right now and forevermore you are in perfect union with Him. In Christ you have been found, you have found your eternal rest. In Him you have already found your home. You are home. When we get to heaven, we're going to find out we were home before we even got there. We've always been home because we've always been in Christ Jesus. That's good news. That's a word to live by. Union. We are in union with Christ. And that's the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for this awesome revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus. That we are connected to You 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would awaken to us in the day in and day out of life that we are in the blesser. We are in the wisdom of God. We are in the fullness of God. And we are in perfect union with Him. Father, we love you and we praise you. And we look forward to maturing and deepening our understanding of this union as we live this life. And we do, Lord, we do look forward to that day where we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb and we're all celebrating what we've always had in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karis.com.